Welcome to episode three of the 226. Oh boy, we have a big one today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe an understatement. That is quite an understatement. We are hitting off broad gigantic topics really fast. Exactly. I think that's the the fun part about it is we can talk about almost anything within these. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's going to provide an opportunity for us to go back to the episodes and dive deeper in sometime. Yeah, narrow down maybe some topic that came up that was somewhat controversial or something that people listening thought was interesting. We can maybe explore a little bit more in depth. Yeah, we should work for audience integration. I think that'd be cool. I think so as well. Create a conversation because I mean, that's what the show's about. Yeah, look forward to that in the coming weeks. <laughs> But for today, we have uh, our broad topic is communication. Here we go. And oh my goodness, there there are just so many things that we could we could start off discussing. We actually did a little bit more blocking of how we want to approach this episode because it is yeah. so broad. We need a, an approach that will will make sense and won't just kind of bounce all over the place. Yeah. So I want to preface this with um, communication is literally everywhere. Anything that you do. If you are in class, if you are a parent, if you are in a relationship, if you are making a song, you are communicating something. Even when you're just sitting there reading a book, you're communicating that to the people who observe you. Exactly. You can't control how other people perceive you to 100%, but you can kind of give off those other things. You're, you're always communicating something. Yeah. It's always in action and it applies to every aspect of your life. So understanding how communication works, studying it, getting a better understanding of it, will kind of make you better at all of those different mm -hmm. aspects, especially when you kind of have a way to, to view it yeah. as well. My favorite part of communication for sure is the immediate application. Just like we talk about something, I'm thinking about some time in my life that that's happened or that I want to apply to in the future. Exactly. And without that, communication wouldn't be but I mean it, it does that words exactly <laughs> we'll talk a little bit more about that later yep. so to start off we should probably define what we view communication to be and our definition is very loose because we do want it to be very broad and we want it to apply to so many different situations yes, exactly uh, so for the sake of this episode we'll uh, define communication as or the study of communication as the, the studying how messages work, how do messages get across, or how do interactions work between people, between a person and an audience, between a medium and an audience, between a person working through a medium, like mm -hmm. a song. There's just so many different ways that you can look at it, and that's what makes it interesting, yeah. I think. So studying communication has a lot of different approaches, and the, I think the one that's the most beneficial is to use a theoretical approach. You have a theory, which is basically just a way to understand how to view the world. Yeah. It's like a pair of glasses. So you can put on a pair of glasses uh, that's designed to help you read things better, a pair of reading glasses, and it will bring things more into focus in that situation. Yeah. So you can use those reading glasses for that situation. If you try to use that for looking far away, you may be using the theory in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the things that are right in front of you, using those glasses, will give you a clear understanding of what's going on and you'll be able to read, work with, and uh, elaborate on the things right in front of you much much easier. Yeah, I think communication theories 
Like when you say theories, that can be scary, I think, to some people. But communication theories are actually usually pretty easy to understand. Oh, yeah. Because you've experienced most of them already. Um, and that's where that instant application comes in. Yeah. Is you'll view a theory and you'll put on a new set of glasses and all of a sudden this comes very much into focus and it might mm -hmm. be something that you weren't aware of before. Yeah. But it's been there the whole time and it's always enacted and you yeah. just can you can move on from there and that the instant application is yeah. that now that I understand how this works, I can better go about my day to day life yeah. with this in my back pocket as a way to understand how things work. Yeah. Let's use an example of, of how something like this would would go about. One of my favorite theories is uh, relational dialectics theory. It was um, pioneered, constructed by Leslie Baxter and Barbara Montgomery. And I think there are two researchers who are actually still doing research and still expanding on their yeah. theory. I was reading something the other day and you asked, is that by Baxter? I said, yeah, and you just dropped a book on that. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, they're very still, much relevant. <laughs> very much still relevant. I think they might be finishing or getting to the end of their careers, but uh, very long, illustrious, and uh, a theory that I found very helpful in understanding interpersonal relationships, for sure. Mm -hmm. So the way that they saw the world, their theoretical lens was that they saw tensions everywhere. Tensions between people, between people in groups. There's just tensions found all around them. And there's often dialectical tensions, which means that they're opposing forces pulling you one way or the mm -hmm. other. So they kind of narrowed down three different dialectical tensions that were present in every relationship that they studied. And the, those tensions were the tension between the desire for connectivity and the desire for autonomy. Mm -hmm. and then you have the desire for uh, spontaneity versus predictability. Mm -hmm. And then the, the last tension was openness versus closeness. So understanding relationships from the idea that there are going to be opposing forces at play, there are going to be tensions, and that those tensions have to be managed gives you a newfound understanding of how to approach your own interpersonal relationships. Yeah. So let's say, like if I was talking with my girlfriend and she said, oh, I, I want to hang out with you at this time, but mm -hmm. I kind of was desiring more autonomy at the time. I wanted more independence. There is a tension. I have one idea about how I think the relationship should be going and she might have another one. And so we have to manage that. That's something we would have to talk about and figure out how are we going to compromise to make this work. Yeah. You know, maybe I sacrifice my individuality for the sake of our relationship in that situation. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the other one, every, every relationship has to have some sort of predictability, right? So you, you say hello, you kind of expect a hello back, yeah. especially for someone you're in a very close <laughs> yeah. relationship with. It's something you sort of grow to expect, um, and not wrongly so. Yeah, but then like, if they don't say hello back, that's communicating something huge. Exactly. So it's, it's everywhere. You can yeah. see this, you can say, oh my goodness, something is, something is wrong here because it's not going the way yeah. it's planned. Yeah. Um, but every relationship also has to have times where there's some novelty, where there's some unpredictability, some spontaneity, mm -hmm. where you kind of, you're not, otherwise, otherwise it just becomes boring. Yeah. Uh, it really does. You wouldn't want to be in the relationship that feels the same for 20 years. Like yeah. you want the same love and mm -hmm. but you always want to be able to grow and experience new things exactly and, and maybe um, novel things as well yeah. um, and then the last one openness versus closeness if uh, there are some things that 
I say like my girlfriend and I thought that we should keep secret about our relationship. That would be something, and, and I thought that that was something that we should tell other people. There's yeah. another tension. Yeah. It's like inclusive or secluded about the way that we go about talking about us. Yeah. Like that would be another tension. Mm-hmm. So even hypothetically, we just directly apply this theory to an interpersonal romantic relationship yeah. and found out new ways that we can look about managing those tensions and understanding mm-hmm. that might give us a better idea of why things feel tense or why things feel off yeah. and then we can better go about our, our day-to-day lives. I think uh, knowing these tensions, it creates such a more mature adult relationship with anyone mm-hmm. or knowing certain theories because you, you have to talk about them. If you leave these go untouched, it's like you're dating in sixth grade. You don't know what you're doing. You're not going to talk about things, and that's just not healthy Yeah, in my mind. So I think a healthy conversation, or a healthy, a healthy relationship really, talks about these, carries on life like that. And yeah, you just have to be real with the other person. Because mm-hmm. sure. otherwise those tensions just go untouched, and then they just they fizzle out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, big point I have is that, like, even just this one theory, creative content creators, I think, either have an intuitive knowledge of these and of communication, or they work to understand it and they need to understand it. I think without that, um, that creative content won't necessarily work. I think the most effective understands this is how I can communicate, this is how other people are going to view it, this is what will give me the most power to deliver the most powerful message. Mm-hmm. And once you have all that knowledge and tool, or at least a little bit of understanding, you can provide media that is much more powerful yeah. and useful. And that's not to say that people who don't have this intuitive understanding of how messages work well can't make creative content. Yeah. I, when it came to something as simple as conversation, I was, I was not very good at socializing. Mm-hmm. And then, but you can learn these things. You can, oh, yeah. you can uh, study them, and it becomes a little bit more natural. Yeah. Uh, you can, you can always improve on it. Um, so, although I might not be the best conversationalist or the most intuitive one, mm-hmm. I, I can still improve the skills that I have and expound upon them. Yeah. And that carries out in the same way for uh, content creators as well. Mm-hmm. I might not be able to tell the best story now, but if I understand why short stories or how movies work the way they do, and then I can kind of emulate that or mm-hmm. understand that, I'll be able to apply that in my own work as well. Yeah, and I think that also just goes back to the Glass quote we talked about episode one exactly that you just got to get through content and to get better Mm -hmm. and you just got to keep doing it and you'll learn from just doing what you do i agree so maybe going along with that is um more in general communication i think it's much better when you seek first to understand the other person in front of you or Mm -hmm. your audience and after that, then seek to be understood. I see this so often yeah. in, in social media where people are primarily primarily communicating, seeking to be understood, mm-hmm. not even taking into account 
that there's someone else to be understood as well. Yeah. So when it comes to debates about politics or whatever heated topic there, there might be, it's just so much seeking to be understood, seeking to be understood, and then both sides just doing that. There's no empathy involved. Yeah. And it really tears down uh, effective problem-solving type communication. Yeah, empathy is such a large part of it. And what I find interesting is that to know more about how you are going to be able to best communicate, you have to learn more about how other people will perceive you, that seeking to be under, seeking to understand first, mm-hmm. instead of being understood first. Um, sounds backwards, but it's really the most efficient and human and kind way mm-hmm. to go about communication, for sure. Definitely. Like, after a while, it's just kind of rude. <laughs> if you're, yeah. If you're, hey, understand me, obviously that's blunt, but just if you keep posting about yourself, if you keep talking about yourself, instead of reaching out saying, hey, how can I best talk to you? Or what are your thoughts on this topic before you just let your mouth fly about what you feel about politics or something? Yeah. And you kind of ignore the other person. Yeah. There's even theories about that, I think. There's yeah. like, uh, how do you treat the other person? Or in, how are you implicitly treating the other person in the way that you talk to them? Do yeah. you treat them as another person? Or are you treating them as this, like, just this object that's supposed to understand what you're saying? Mm-hmm. And the difference there is drastic. Yeah. And I think that's so much different online than in, in face-to-face oh. conversation. Like, this is something that books have been written about already. and Yeah, and it changes all the time, too. Yeah. The new media that we have is changing yeah. constantly. So, although there's plenty of research out there about how, how communication in the online world kind of works mm-hmm. compared to uh, the real world, so to speak, yeah. there's still so much to be studied and understood. Yeah, because th- those things evolve all the time. New technology. I mean, if you tried to do a study five years ago about the implications of Snapchat or some new way of yeah. communicating with other people, uh, you wouldn't have been able to. Yeah. There's just there. It didn't exist. It was not able to be studied. Now mm-hmm. studying it, it, that this technology works for us, that we have this as a way to communicate, fundamentally changes the way that we think about. Uh, how how the world works yeah you can't maybe some people can't even imagine not being able to communicate via snapchat they they came of age just as that was becoming a thing and that's how they that's just how they understand communication to be yeah and that's a theory in and of itself the whole idea that the the medium is the message oh yes and so every time a new way to communicate comes about your understanding about the way communication works between other people changes on a, at, a, at a baseline level. Mm-hmm. And it's irreversible. You can't go back to it unless you completely remove that technology, but no one's going to take Snapchat away, that's no. for sure. That's no. going to stay. The, the whole concept of the medium is a message. It's looking past what people are saying at the time and seeing what are they using to say that, mm-hmm. for sure. And that's just... Do you remember who said that? We should have looked that up. The medium is the message? Yeah. I can look up who kind of researched it. But anyway, just like, um, this came up just early on when texting was becoming a thing, or when conversations started to change 
instead of always being face to face. Now we have all these different ways of doing it. Because, I mean, it went from, hey, we're face to face to, I can write this down, and now, and then letters, and now you have phone calls, and then texting, and all this. So the medium changes so much, and I think it's only accelerating. Marshall McLuhan. Marshall McLuhan. Yeah. Very interesting stuff. Yeah. And it's gone throughout the entirety of human history. Yeah. Uh, Even when they first started writing things down, how did that change? How Mm -hmm. people thought about communicating with other people. Now, Now words aren't just something spoken. There's something that I can write down and preserve. Mm hmm. I don't have to be around a stone. I have parchment and paper. I can make those words last a long time. Yeah. So what does that do to storytelling? What does that do to your ability to remember things or how you think about how you need to remember things? It's it's just an irreversible change. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting when you start talking about something like movies or songwriting. Yeah. How does that make things, make things work differently? Yeah. I uh, kind of want to move on, but it ties in completely. Um, how conversation has changed, and then the vulnerability of conversation. I agree. So, when you're talking face to face, you don't have time to stop, think, what am I going to say? Oh, no. And that's what texting provides. That's what email provides. Um, so, being able to just talk one on one with someone, just completely stream of consciousness. That's both a, not a dying art, but not everyone is good at it anymore. Yeah. Or not as many people are, um, just because of how much we use texting. Uh, I'm reading a book right now called Reclaiming Conversation. We'll talk more about it later. Mm-hmm. But in that book, it talks about how teenagers, high schoolers, college students are all, they strive for texting because they can't mess up, in theory. It's a safer environment to talk because there's not as much vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And that goes the same for like Facebook or yeah. any other virtual type of communication. Yeah. It's just you're, you're more safe behind that when you're not upfront yeah. and personal with someone. Everyone can be brave behind a keyboard. Exactly. Someone told me that a while ago and it was just this light that, wow, yes. It really resonates. The things, if, if you imagine people saying the things they say on social media, in person to the audience that they gave it to you it's just sometimes baffling to to comprehend would this yeah. person act there's no way this person would actually say yeah. that but they're saying it online yeah and that you know that says something about what it's what the differences are between the real world and saying something yeah. virtually i had a huge experience with this uh two years ago now uh some friends and i just we made a video um, it was just a fun type music video and it exploded like we did not expect this to be popular online at all mm-hmm. um, just crazy amount of views in a short amount of time and so it was great I mean we're enjoying how well it went mm-hmm. kind of like it was a total surprise to us um, so it's just this great thing then like a couple weeks into the video being posted online we get this message from someone just saying, hey, uh, I don't like what you did. (laughs) Essentially, I don't want to talk too much about it, but they really wanted us to take the video down, thought it was offensive to so many people. Um, 
and that we were purposely mocking others with specific uh, ideas and rose-colored glasses, essentially. But it was just, we never actually got the chance to sit down in a room with these people mm -hmm. who didn't like it. And just what they were saying online, I remember conversations super late at night that we, we were just talking, like, if we actually sat down, these people would not be saying what they're saying. Yeah. Because the computer provides just the safety net of, oh, they can't backlash immediately. Mm -hmm. They can't deny what I'm saying. Yeah. And that's just the... Honestly, online conversation is almost just two one-way streets. Yeah, definitely. I think even maybe a related example would be uh, someone like Dead Mouse, Very uh, open in his usage of Twitter. Mm -hmm. he, he uses Twitter all the time. Yeah. And I happen to follow him. I think he's an interesting artist, and I like to see what he's up to. Um, but in, there was an interview that I saw with him as well where he said, you know, on Twitter I get into these heated, you know, debates yeah. or... Uh, he did discussions with certain individuals who are saying stupid stuff. Mm -hmm. It happens all the time. But he said, never ever has this happened in the real world where someone came up and said anything remotely like what they'll say to me on Twitter. Yeah. Never has anyone come up and said, I hate your music. But people say that on Twitter all the time. They're like, oh, you're washed up. You're a terrible artist. Your music sucks. Mm -hmm. They'll say that online, but then, then when it comes to the real world, granted he might not be in a position where like, people that don't like his music probably are not coming to his shows. Yeah. But even so, just in his his day to day experiences, he never had anything remotely like that. Yeah. He's had disagreements with people. He's had uh, maybe disagreements with other artists, and there's been critics who have have called him out in real life. But those are about different things and the way the conversation is handled is very different yeah. than, than it would be otherwise. Yeah. But the vulnerability of just talking one-on-one -on -one is completely intriguing to me. Yes. I, I could talk about that for so long. I think we're, even in, in this podcast, the way we say things, I'm, I know that I'm making mistakes. Like even in that yeah. sentence, I stuttered, right? Like there's... And right now I'm trying to say like three different ideas at once and maybe that says something about my personality, yeah. but I tend to jump from, from, uh, idea to idea without fully completing the thought. Yeah. And that is ineffective in the way that I talk and I'm something I'm trying to work on and something that doing this podcast is actually helping me with mm -hmm. because it forces me to think about completing all of my sentences way ahead of time. Yeah. So I know that I'm going to be making mistakes as this podcast goes on, even in as, as long as it, it does continue, however many seasons we end up getting around to. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that it's a bad thing. I think it, all it does is present a learning opportunity, something to improve on. Yeah. So actually doing something like this is uh, actually helpful for me. Yeah, totally. Personality theory just plays into the vulnerability online so much, I think. Um, because, like, for me, generally, I like to think that I've finished thoughts. I just have a lot of short thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I find this in my writing quite often. I'll write something or start writing a report, and all of a sudden, I'll go back and read it. And it's just the choppiest thing in the world. And it's like stringing together ideas to create one big idea is such 
a more powerful tool than all these short little things. Mm-hmm. And it's how do I get better at that? And it's conversation. Conversation cures. Yeah. And you just got to do it. <laughs> I think the idea of personality theories and how that applies to communication is very interesting as well. Yeah. So the idea is that we, we all have traits that are unique to us mm-hmm. or not unique. Or not, how should I say this? We all have traits that can be observed yes. in, in who we are. For yes. example, John is an extrovert Quite. and John is an introvert. So that brings about some kind of fundamental changes about the way we think about discussion and talking and conversation. Yeah. I will tend to think about things before I say them, even if it's just right before. Yeah. But I'll think about a number of different ways that I can say something and then I'll choose one path. And sometimes I end up getting about partially through a sentence and then I'll kind of divert that path and then I'll mm-hmm. kind of change and and so it kind of mm-hmm. has like checkpoints as it goes along the way. But I tend to have that kind of processing going on as I'm always trying to think about what I can say next, kind of precognating what I what I want to what I want to say. Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah, see, I don't do that at all. <laughs> that entire time, I was just listening to you, and now I'm just speaking. I don't know. The words just kind of come. <laughs> they just happen. Yep, they just kind of happen. Uh, so, for me, that's I think that's why my thoughts are so short, um, and why I just make all these little thoughts and ideas, because I don't consciously think about what I'm going to say before I say it. And all this time that you've been talking, I've been thinking about how I'm going to respond to you. Yeah. And so it's just very wildly different ways of approaching something. And so understanding a dynamic like introversion versus extroversion is so unique and it, it applies in so many different ways. Understanding that you might be speaking to someone who has a different way of thinking about how they talk might change the way that you talk to them yeah. in a positive way because you'll understand where they're coming from more. Yeah, exactly. Another aspect of personality that might be interesting to talk about when thinking about communication is uh, the dynamic of thinking versus feeling. Yes. There's another place that we're so different in, and the way we express ourselves is very drastic, I think. Yeah. Because you're much more of a feeler, feeler and I'm much more of a thinker. Mm -hmm. And that might kind of correlate with our introversion, extroversion, but Mm -hmm. it, it definitely just says there's just so many differences in how we express ourselves. Yeah. So quite often I just go with what I'm feeling at the time. I am very spur of the moment, but just, it's not a gut feeling, but it's a gut feeling. Mm-hmm. Like I'm passionate about this. Okay. We're going into it. Yes. No going back. Mm-hmm. I just feel that this is the right thing to do. Say, talk mm-hmm. about at the moment. And I just go with it. Yeah. And I'm cold hearted. I feel nothing. <laughs> I just think about things. No, that's false. I don't. I, and that's the, that's the error or the criticism of using something like trait theory in personalities yeah. as a way to view things because it's not as if a person is either an extrovert or an introvert. There might be situations where they kind of switch. It's mm-hmm. a fluid thing. It's a continuum. And yeah. we kind of draw that line in the middle. You might be very close to either side. Yeah. How different are these two people? Well, you have a different label for them, but they're actually much closer than someone who's a little bit farther on either side. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if being labeled as a thinker versus a feeler means that you don't feel anything. Although yeah. I might joke about it. 
and it's funny. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it's not something that holds true 100% of the time. So it's not a valid assumption to make uh, when you when you talk about traits in that way. Yeah. It's, a, it's a continuum, and that's something to keep in mind as you're using that. But that doesn't mean that there isn't something to be said for someone who is uh, very much an extrovert or very mm-hmm. much an introvert or even partially on one side. Yeah. I think that you can make some broad generalizations and use that to your benefit while keeping in mind that those things may or may not be 100% true all of the time. If you allow for that uh, variability mm-hmm. inside your understanding, I think that it's a safe way to look at things in a beneficial way. Yeah. What I... What I found interesting and a big takeaway of like knowing that you're an introvert or no, I know what like 20 of my friends are now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I'm trying to draw from what you do subconsciously and put that in my life. So I don't consciously think about what I say all the time, but I'm trying to do that. It's the hardest thing in the world for Especially me. Especially like in this podcast even, right? Yeah, exactly. The way you're writing down notes and things yeah. beforehand. Yeah. So I'm trying to be more articulate that way and just gather my thoughts and go with it then rather than, okay, let's talk and this is what I feel right now and mm-hmm. you never know what's going to happen. And yeah. I just end up talking really fast sometimes because I get really excited and all of a sudden, all of a sudden I'm just talking and talking and talking and where does it go? I don't know, but it just happens. I just words. Yeah. Word vomit. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting seeing how that shapes the way we're talking in this podcast even. Yeah. Because I am being the opposite. Mm -hmm. Usually tend to write everything, not write everything down, but at least think about everything beforehand. And I'll have kind of an idea of how I want to say it beforehand. And I Mm -hmm. can kind of just follow that path along. I'm trying not to do that for this podcast. Although we have maybe some vague outline of how we want to progress Mm -hmm. through the topics. I'm not... Uh, sitting there thinking about it for a while beforehand. I'm trying to be able to speak more off the cuff. And it's not because I think being an extrovert type speaker is better. That's not the the point at all. I think it's more about broadening your horizons for being able to communicate in different ways because who knows, it might become something that that helps you out down the line. It's just another tool in the toolbox of conversation, really. Mm -hmm. And when you have all these tools... I think that's when you become a better communicator. Mm-hmm. And, and that will display itself in all of your your content that you make, everything that you write, every yes. person that you talk to. Yeah. It goes back to being uh, understanding others before being understood. Yeah. The whole idea of empathy yes. and that studying communication in general necessitates an empathetic type of individual. Yeah. You can't study this and be like, oh, I will ignore the other people and see how I can. That's that's manipulative. That's, yeah, it really is. That's terrible. But when you take into consideration those other people and see how can I do things better so that it helps us mm-hmm. progress in some direction. Yeah. It, it's fascinating to me. I could study it for the rest of my life. Oh, yes. Agreed. No, empathy is just... It's something that we are honestly losing as a human race. And it's because of our phones and technology and everything. Because we go into this solitude where our phones all of a sudden become our stream of consciousness. 
our phones become one with our brain and we're so attached to them that like handing my phone to someone is this stressful thing. I don't know why. I have nothing to hide in my phone. Nothing at all. Yeah, it is password protected by six numbers. My fingerprint only unlocks it and no one else knows that. So my brain has now, my phone has become an extension of my brain and it's become backup. So the hammer was created. The hammer is now an extension of your hand. Mm-hmm. You can do bigger and better things with it. It's a new tool or the screwdriver or uh, like cooking utensils. A saw. A saw. Yeah. So these are these new tools, essentially not peripherals, but extensions of the human body. Mm-hmm. We can do new things. And phones, especially smartphones and how fast they're progressing have become not an extension of our arms, hands, feet, but now an extension of the brain. Mm-hmm. And that is so powerful. Mm-hmm. The way you can present yourself to yes. people through mobile media is yeah. yeah, and it's fascinating. It's powerful, fascinating, and terrifying to me. I think maybe at some point, instead of us thinking of the phone as like an extension of the way we can present ourselves to others, mm-hmm. that becomes that becomes the way we present ourselves to others and we forget that we can have face-to-face interaction. So yeah. it's like, not only am I just using this hammer in the ways that can be like, now everything's a nail and you're just pounding everything away. Like mm-hmm. that's not like, that's no. not how you should use this extension of your body. You no. should still remember that you have other tools in your tool belt Yeah, and you can use those. Yeah. And this plays into relationships just completely, especially like, how do you view your relationship with someone just talking like we are now versus online. And now all of a sudden you kind of have two different relationships with everybody in your life. I agree. Um, so there are similarities. I mean, you can get close to someone online just by talking, mm-hmm. texting, typing, Skyping and FaceTiming, mm-hmm. things like that. But there are stark differences. You can't read somebody. You can't read tone. I mean, you'll try to do that, but it's so easy to be misunderstood when you're yeah. talking online or something what do you, like that. What do you lose when you communicate virtually versus being there in person? Yeah. And it's it's that human element essentially. Mm-hmm. Like you even be, something like Skype. Yeah. It's not quite the same as like actually having that person there. Yeah. Like, like I don't feel anything at all, but then I feel something, you know, yeah. and I'm right there. like there's a difference yeah. between someone sitting on my couch and someone going through a computer screen not yeah. to saying that like you shouldn't use this at all it's, no it's a tool mm-hmm. it's a tool that you can exactly. use and it's very beneficial to many people especially when you're you're separated by great distances yeah. but the difference between being able to text someone and then being able to talk to like talk to you on the couch yeah very different things right so I think texting is so sporadic too like when you have a, I mean, most text messages are like less than a centimeter long. <laughs> Weird way to describe the conversation length, but yeah. I mean, it's true. And they're often misunderstood, misinterpreted. Oh, yes. yes. Or forgotten to be talked about or mm-hmm. completely ignored. And that's the thing. Like you can completely ignore someone with no consequences online. Whereas sometimes, sometimes from yeah. your perspective. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's also a personality thing. I like the idea of if you have if you have like tennis balls in your hand. Mm-hmm. I can't remember where I heard this. It's probably it's 
probably a class I took, but it was, probably. you have the idea that you have tennis balls in your hand, and if you want to talk to someone, you can, like, bounce them a tennis ball. Mm -hmm. And if they, if you miss, <laughs> or if they, like, just drop it and mm -hmm. don't respond, you've, you've got, what, two more, and you can try again. Yeah. But after the third time, like, if they're just not answering you, whether it's in media or, in, it's harder to do that in person, it's harder to ignore, but yeah. online it's so easy to just stop. But what does that say, like, how does that make you feel as an individual when you're throwing tennis balls and you're not getting tennis balls back? Mm -hmm. So you can see it, uh, probably maybe have a friend who throws a ton of tennis balls but doesn't receive many tennis balls back. Mm -hmm. Or maybe some people who are known for not throwing tennis balls back. It's just a fascinating idea to me that not only can you, you can ignore someone without the negative consequences on your part yeah but the person who's trying to interact with you might feel some type of way about that yeah. or that might say something about your relationship mm -hmm. so then what i feel is interesting is when you don't have someone you want to talk to when you're just in solitude and all of a sudden all you're doing is throwing tennis balls at a facebook wall like yeah. literally and metaphorically so you're yeah. just you go to Facebook or some online place and that's your haven. Your outlet. That's where you exist. And that can be good for a time. But I think the lack of real conversation with people is it's a scary thing. There's another theory that kind of plays into that. And it's a speech act theory. Okay. And the idea is that everything that people say has a purpose. Mm-hmm. So when you say things, that's, that's a goal-driven behavior. Every time you say something, there's something that you're trying to accomplish, yes. whether it's maintaining a relationship or um, advancing your position at work or winning an argument. You're always goal-driven. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to apply in real life. So you have you have friends speaking or an argument taking place and someone yells something at someone. They're using nonverbal communication as a form of sort of uh, aggressive, dominant type of communication. That's what they're trying to exemplify. That's yeah. the goal behind why they're raising their voice. Yeah. That can also apply to the, the words that you say. So an example would be, um, hey, do you want to go get dinner later? If I said that to you, my goal is that I want to go have dinner with you. It seems like a very, very simple thing, but it, it has implications online as well. Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes you can like scroll through like a Facebook wall or a Twitter feed. And if you apply this theory to what you see online, it becomes very interesting. What do you think are the goals that these people are trying to accomplish? Is this person looking for um, validation? Do they want people yeah. to like what they say? Do they want people to, to know how they feel? Are they uh, seeking pity? Are they seeking something else? Are they seeking uh, security in their identity? It's mm -hmm. just there's, there's so much to explore there. And I think a lot is lost uh, with not having as much face-to-face -face talk and having way too much throwing tennis balls at a Facebook yeah. wall. Um, it reminded me of a song that I think became popular like my late grade school years already. So we're talking like seven, eight years ago now. Oh boy. So 
I'm pretty sure it was called I'm So Much Cooler Online. I think it's a country song. I don't listen to country. I'm gonna look it up and see if this is a... Okay, so you look that up. But... Even seven, eight years ago, we're already talking... Sure enough. ...that people create a different self online. Brad Paisley. Yeah. Look I'm at that. so much cooler online. And... So you can portray yourself as someone completely different online. You get so much control over how you can be perceived by others. Yeah. Whereas face-to-face, -face, you have your non-verbals, what you mm -hmm. look like, how you're acting, your posture and everything, and then your what you say. But online, you can choose what picture that people see every time they yeah. see your status or your interactions with other yeah. people. You can choose how to express yourself and it, choose who sees what you what you say and yeah. it's just the whole idea the whole ecology of social media is fascinating and sometimes i believe detrimental to yes an understanding of how connecting with other people ought to work yeah this is funny to me that this whole brad paisley song because i never listened to country so i probably never listened to this song <laughs> but the fact that it was was made uh where does it say yeah do we have a copyright Let's find out. You find that? I've been terrified that this hasn't been recording, but it is recording. So that's been bugging me for 15 minutes. 2009. So that's eight years ago. No. Seven uh, years ago. Yeah. Even so, that's a quite a long time ago. Yeah. And you think how far social media has progressed since then? Yeah. So like seven years ago, we had what? MySpace. Was Instagram a thing seven years ago? Oh, I don't even know. And now you can zoom in on pictures on Instagram. Wow. Really? Yeah. At least that's something. The whole way us. that I perceive the way communication works is now fundamentally changing. <laughs> because I can zoom into your eye. I can <laughs> zoom in to Instagram pictures. Yeah. But who knows? Like that even just thinking about what it's like for an Instagram content creator, this new ability, this new technology inside that app is going to change the way that they make their shots. Okay. That change the way that the way they upload photos or what kind of content that they can put up there. Mm -hmm. It fundamentally changes what you how you process decision making yeah. about what you do as it most likely a photographer or maybe even any other like a musician or something. Yeah. But there's just it, communication is everywhere and it is applied in literally any situation that you want it to. Yeah. And it will oftentimes always make you better at what you do. Yeah. Just the understanding. What you, uh, what you just said, decision making. Oh, I love it. Okay, so in my mind, decision making, every single day we go through so many decisions. And I think the number of decision that, decisions that we have to make is growing every single day also. Yes. Because of social media and online and what you're making as a creator, who you talk to. That's insane. I haven't thought about it much just because it's coming down, but how many decisions we make every day. And that's why you can be exhausted just by sitting at work in a cubicle doing mm -hmm. things. You can be interacting with so many people even though you're alone by yourself in your bedroom. Yeah. I'm an introvert. I'm usually alone by myself in my bedroom doing something with music or something. Yeah, so like yeah. that's me in my in my spot. Uh-huh. 
but John has a sweet studio in his bedroom, by the way, like super awesome. Anyway, (laughs) there's just, uh, and I see now I forgot what I was going to say. You were talking about how you're usually in your bedroom alone. Oh, you can, but you can still be, (laughs) that sounds so sad because I'm really okay with it. It's not a problem. I like it. Um, it's me and my natural element, but I can still, even though you're, and this can apply to like extroverts as well. Like you can be sitting on your couch and no one else is around you, but you're still interacting with hundreds of people. Yes. And that that's taxing on what you can like physically do. You can't connect with that many people. You can't have personal connections with any more than I think they did research. It was about what? 150. Yeah. About 150 people. That is the maximum number of meaningful interactions that you can maintain as a human being. Yeah. And if you have thousands of friends, then you're trying to manage your face before all of them online. It's just, there's so many interesting things happening and yeah, there's so many questions to be asked. Mm -hmm. So sitting alone on your couch, on your phone, you are no longer alone. Mm -hmm. And then I think that's, we are losing our capacity for solitude. Yes. For self-reflection. Well, maybe thinking. I, I like to think that I still hold that. that yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like people you see maybe in a train, like a subway station, no, one's just going to sit there. If there's a phone in the pocket, it's out. Uh, like just the concept of solitude, even people don't use as much anymore. Yeah. Just to, I have time to think now. Not many people do that. The ability to self-reflect. Yeah. Just kind of... I you know, I love just going and sitting out on the porch during like a storm or something mm-hmm. and just sitting there. And it's just... I love it. It's just like this... I don't know. Weird like self-awareness something, something. Yeah. I... I it's just, I, lo- I love it. The ability to reflect on whatever's on your mind, just to think about things, just to reprocess them. Yeah. The idea of solitude as an agent for that is, yeah, probably becoming a, a little bit of a lost art. Yeah. And I think similarly to conversation. Yeah. I feel that we as a society are constantly expected to be connected. And mm-hmm. that's where solitude is just going down the drain. Yeah. It's so yeah. fascinating. Yeah, totally. They, I just want to go sit by myself. <laughs> no, I just want to go sit by myself. <laughs> Me and my thoughts. Yeah, I think it's a. Uh, it is becoming something that that less and less people are, are able to do because they have this feeling that they they shouldn't really be alone. You're you're expected to share things with everyone and all yeah. the time. There's no you lose that individual sense of no. I can I can. I'll, I'll, I can not be interacting with people and I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But th- some people feel that just because of what nature, nurture, or both, that they need to be constantly interacting with people in order to preserve their self identity. Yeah. That's an extrovert thing for sure. Yeah. Like when I have to sit down and edit pictures, I will consciously go to a place where I know people are going to be walking by me. Because mm-hmm. I hate being just alone with the pictures mm-hmm. it just kind of drives me crazy sometimes yeah and that's interesting like the introvert extrovert ideas because mm-hmm. the, the time that you really shine 
as a content creator, I think, is when you're right behind the lens and you're actually taking that picture, you're mm-hmm. interacting with those people. Like, I see that, like, that's you've got that spark in your eye mm-hmm. at that time. Whereas my spark is probably by myself, I accidentally did some mistake with a routing situation in FL Studio and all of a sudden a new sound comes up and that's when I get really excited. <laughs> yeah. that's, when, that's when I feel like the cataracts or something I can hear. This one's going to sell 5 million records. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's just an example of how differences in personality can express themselves differently yeah. in the way that you interact uh, with uh, creative content. Yeah, so, totally. Should we talk about some books that we could? Uh, I was going to ask the same question. Yeah, let's let's talk about some some literature that uh, we both uh, have either read or are about to read. Yeah. Um, that kind of expands on these ideas and gives us a fuller understanding of how communication works. Yeah. Uh, either in a broad sense or in a very specific sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think these books, you could say that they've influenced the way that we, that we do things. Oh, for sure. Quite a bit. So, um, we start out with, uh, Reclaiming Conversation. You want to talk about that? Yeah, one? sure. Um, so I mentioned this book, Reclaiming Conversation by Sherry Turkle, uh, recommended to me by a friend who was recommended the book by one of our professors. And the book goes on and it talks about empathy and it's essentially the jury coming back about what phones have done to us. So, uh, iPhone came out like nine years ago now. Jury went out. What is this going to do us? Do to us nine years later, almost ten years later. Now we're finding out what's happened. Yeah. And it's found that phones are creating a lack of empathy in humans. And we've talked about that in this podcast already. (laughs) So John just moved his phone off the table. (laughs) So it talks about how even a phone on the table, not even using the phone, but a phone on the table can change how a conversation goes. Um, Because it's, is that phone going to ring? Is that going to happen? And now you have people like stacking up their phones at a dinner, first one to check pays and things like that. And, uh, so that thing I said about um, bouncing tennis balls off a Facebook wall, people going online for solitude, or which for, really isn't solitude. No, exactly. Um, so the book has made me guilty about using my phone. Every time I pull out my phone and there's someone in front of me, I feel terrible now. So I'm trying to cut down on my time mm-hmm. using it um, because I don't want to lose empathy because empathy is such a powerful tool. Yeah. Um, it's really scary how much phones have done for us I love that they're an extension of our brain I hate that they're an extension (laughs) of my brain Um, so it's an interesting thing and so the title Reclaiming Conversation the whole concept how do we fix this what's going to happen if we don't fix it and the cure is conversation we need to have kids in schools talking to each other we need to talk like we are in this podcast. Yeah. Experiencing that vulnerability and being yeah. able to deal with it yeah. is a big part. Exactly. Um, book I want to talk about is uh, uh, Quiet by Susan Cain. She's delivered a TED Talk or two, I believe, about she this has. idea. She has. Yeah, yeah, Susan oh Cain. Oh my gosh. <laughs> John has another video to watch. <laughs> Susan Cain gave a TED Talk about, I think it was the introvert-extrovert idea. And yeah. I think whether it's the media portraying this, she talks about extroverts being the ideal. 
mm-hmm. the charismatic, outgoing type, charming personality, and that that becomes the expectation, kind of takes away from people like me who might be more at home, literally at home, yeah. doing something uh, in a more quiet situation. That was the the idea that introversion versus extroversion really is where your energy source comes from not only how you process information so john gets his energy by being with other people being Mm -hmm. behind that lens and taking that that picture of Mm -hmm. them whereas i get my energy from more of a quiet situation one or two people around um maybe even just by myself that's where i find that i have renewed energy to socialize with others and so she she talks about a variety of different things including uh media education uh, how does group work affect your ability to to think critically about things and she found that solitude actually provided a a much more ideal situation for thinking of creative ideas than group work yeah i've heard that you sit in a group and it's whoever is the most extroverted person there just does all the talking and everyone else just kind of listens and you don't really actually have the presence of mind, the solitude necessary to actually think of new ideas. So there's plenty of great ideas in that book. Um, Definitely resonated with me being an introvert. Um, I think it's interesting for um, both introverts and extroverts. It sounds like it's like an us versus them thing. It's really not. I don't think it should be. I think it's just a way of understanding how different people uh, act in different situations. So, Quiet is on my list. That's the next book I'm going to read after Reclaiming. I'm going to move to the next book. Talk Like Ted is a book I just finished. Talk Like Ted by Carmine Gallo. 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 I wish. I, I want to meet this guy and pronounce <laughs> his name. Um, but wow, is this book eye-opening. So Talk Like Ted goes through nine chapters. Nine ideas of what makes a TED Talk a TED Talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as I love TED Talks, that's why I picked up the book, because I want to know how to talk like them. I want to know how to tell stories like they do. So that's another book he has, uh, Be a Better Storyteller, something like that. Mm -hmm. But Talk Like Ted really opened up my eyes of how can I portray my ideas? How can I give everyone my ideas in a passionate way? And something from the book that really resonated was ideas are the currency of the 21st century. If you have an idea, you hold on to that, you run with it, make it happen, and then tell other people about it passionately, and that's what's going to spur on the human race, essentially. Mm-hmm. I can see especially how that would be something uh, that works with TED very well. Yeah. Ideas worth sharing. That's literally the, the motto of this, yeah. if, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Like, ideas worth spreading to other people. So, like, if that's the currency, like, there's the wealth that yeah. you're looking for. Yeah, so Power to the People is everyone has these ideas and we need to share them. Mm-hmm. And how do you share them effectively? Yeah, exactly. So that probably applies a lot to creative content. Yeah, and that's why I picked up the book because I yeah. figured there was a correlation. And there definitely was? Yeah, for sure. Like after this book, um, I've looked at videos I've made in the past and been like, oh, that was, that was terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like, I just made a narrative for the school we went to, go to, and I should have written the narrative completely differently, spoken it differently, um, 
and just I would have done so many things different if I had read this book before. But now going forward, I learned from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ability to critique yourself about that is worthwhile in and of itself. Yeah. So. Yeah. I just so. like that idea. Yeah, it's really, it's a powerful book. Talk like Ted by Carmen G. Carmen, yeah. <laughs> Very um, interesting. That's definitely on my list of books to read as well. Yeah. Um, I know. I remember the first time that you saw it, or were reading it. That you read the first chapter, and I, I think I got a text message or something. <laughs> I read, John, this book is amazing. <laughs> and it was Probably all caps. It was all caps, and it was a lot of short ideas in all space, and I was like, wow, you're such an ENFP. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, it's definitely a book that I want to read because I think I'd, I'd get a lot of out of it as well. And it gives you a new way of framing how you can critique creative content. Yeah. So even things like professors in a classroom, mm-hmm. like you're able to, I remember one class you, you said, John, this professor literally does everything that this book said to do without even knowing about it, and it's amazing. And that class and is the best class I've ever had. <laughs> it's the best class I've ever had. And there are some professors who do none of those oh things. Oh my gosh. And it, and it feels boring. So yeah. it's like, not to say that this is, uh, what, 10 different things he talks about is a comprehensive way to be a good teacher. But there's definitely something there. Yeah, for sure. So there's something to take away. Uh, last book I think we should talk about. It's called Social Intelligence by Daniel Goleman, and I purposefully didn't have an outline about how I want to talk about this book, uh, because that's the, the goal of me doing this podcast, <laughs> is that I'm able to think, uh, there's a long word that starts with the extemporaneously, I believe is the word I'm looking for, Good. the word think off the cuff, mm-hmm. uh, but I'll just start with a little story that was inside this book, and that was, there was a, a man who was in an accident and it severed part of his optical nerve, so he's no longer able to see. And he found that years later, even though he was unable to see anything or could barely remember what shapes were like and Mm -hmm. how things actually looked when he could see, he would enter a room and he would be able to sense what the mood was. The difference in mood of a room between someone on their deathbed and a birthday party, regardless of what sounds you hear. Like, the mood is different. He found that he was able to pick up on that, and researchers thought this was so interesting. So they put him in an fMRI machine, which I believe, I don't know the science behind it, but I believe it's able to, it's like a picture of what parts of your brain are active, but instead of just a picture, like an MRI, it's like a movie. Yeah. So they're able to see as things are going on in real time, what parts of his brain are lighting Mm -hmm. up. So what they did is they put him in this machine and they displayed pictures of people who are having some kind of emotion. So someone who's angry is kind of like frowning, their eyebrows are pointed down, they have like a snarl on their mouth, and someone is smiling, they're really happy, they're Mm -hmm. they're talking, like they just put those pictures in front of him. And they found that his brain lit up in the same areas as people who would like actually see this in real life. Oh, wow. Wow. So they found that the part of our vision that interprets emotion is uh-huh. separate than the part of our vision that interprets how things look. Wow. <laughs> so that's the idea of this book <laughs> is that there's two different roads that we go through things. There's yeah. the conscious, like I can actually see this thing, and there's the subconscious, oh, that's the processing of, of emotion. Yeah. That's the processing of how things are happening socially. And then he uses um, that way of thinking about uh, neuroscience to 
explain a ton of different mm -hmm. areas such as education. I'll have to go look through the book again. I read it a while ago, but it, it really stuck with me that there's a high road and a low road, so to speak, yep. of how we, we process things. So someone who is very much in tune with that low road, that subconscious would be mm -hmm. able to pick up on emotions very quickly. Whereas someone uh, who doesn't really have that might struggle with interpreting how people are are acting, what what their emotions are. Yes. So maybe an example might be someone who's like on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. They have to consciously process like this person is smiling. That means that they're happy. It's like yeah. a, it's like a linear thing. So they're maybe not as uh, fluid on that low road. Whereas maybe you being in extrovert, <laughs> intuitive feeling <laughs> perceiver, <laughs> like that would be something that you're very in tune with. Like yeah. you, just, you walk into the room, you're very much aware of what's going on, how, yeah. well, at least the emotion of the place, yeah. what's happening. So another, another interesting idea from that book is also very related to my uh, philosophy of education, which where you remember from, I believe the last episode was the, yeah. the web of interconnectivity. Mm -hmm. He said that when he was a kid, I can't remember it was him or some other researcher. He said when they were a child, they would go to school every day, and if it was if there was a fresh snow, mm -hmm. he would for, for just a random reason just like make a zigzag path out to the playground or something. Mm -hmm. But he found that everyone followed that path. No one made a new path in the snow, mm -hmm. and that's maybe a way to think about what happens in your brain: is that it will always follow the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. So no matter if that's the shortest way or not, if that's the easiest way to get there, that's the way your brain's going to take. So if you learn something incorrectly, whether it be content or how to socialize, mm -hmm. if you're just, in, if that's ingrained in your neural pathways, undoing that is very difficult to do. Oh, okay. But, uh, so that makes teaching that short way, <laughs> maybe more important yeah. or maybe connecting the right dots, whether yeah. it be socially or educationally. So I have to read that book. It's very interesting. He has two other books as well uh, about emotional intelligence and then how to work with emotional intelligence. All okay. of them are connected. I've read Social Intelligence, uh, definitely learned a lot from it, and I would recommend it to anyone who finds any of this remotely interesting. Yeah. I think they'd take something away from it. So. Yeah, for sure. Well, conclusion. What did we take away from this? Oh boy. <laughs> what do you take away, John? Um, uh, I've been looking at or sorry, outlined the entire time and I want to talk about it all again. Um, but what you said towards the very beginning about the tensions that happen in relationships and how there are compromises, sacrifices, and you have to talk about them. And just like speaking from experience, if you don't, the relationship dies. Mm -hmm. And even if it's subconsciously, yeah, like you got to get out there. You got to do it gotta talk about it I think we'll have probably an episode about interpersonal relationships I think so too maybe even one about the the positive aspects and then maybe one about uh, maybe the negative aspects as well writing it down definitely we'll have to we might even bring a guest on for that one yes uh, but the there are definitely two sides to relationships like that and yes so so much to talk about so much to learn from oh my gosh yeah How about um, you? I thought it was interesting how a lot of the points that you brought up were geared towards uh, how things play out online or how things play out virtually. Mm -hmm. 
and how that compares to speaking in conversation in real life. And I yeah. think maybe it's because you're starting to read Reclaiming Conversation now that that's becoming way more apparent to you. But I just thought mm -hmm. it was an interesting trend is that all your topics were with uh, sort of internet type communication. Yeah, that's true. Part of it. it just resonated with me as a, a unique thing that uh, might be, might indicate some uh, passion of yours. Yeah. So. I didn't do that consciously either. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Wow. Well, I have so, some solitude thinking to do. <laughs> As do I. Um, but I think that's about it for, for the, the content of our episode. Next week, or next episode, I should say, we'll talk about music. Music. Another broad topic. Another very broad topic, but another passion shared passion that we have. And also, after that, I believe, did we schedule movies? Yeah, so we got Movies music. or cinema? Yeah. So couple great episodes coming up. Uh, thanks for watching this time. This has been the 226. Peace.